dear listeners, happy Easter to you, Sean and Heath, back at it. Sean, happy Easter to you, buddy. Happy Easter. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, yet again, another beautiful Holy Week. I was just so excited to add some new catechumens into Holy Mother Church. I heard from a couple who, uh, I don't know, just kind of had that, you know, that, not a retreat high, but you know what I mean? Like, sure, hey, just yeah. this flood of grace that they get. I mean, that's got to be so rewarding for you to get to, you know, be up close with these folks and, yeah. and walk with them. And, um, yeah, so it was just, it was just a wonderful week as always. Sean, this morning at our staff meeting, you had, uh, father was asking about, um, summer plans, family vacations. And, uh, and, uh, you had said something that made me pause too. You said, um, maybe not too many more vacations with your eldest Samuel, oh, yeah. right? Sure. Yeah. Well, I've got a, I've got one that's almost 18, mm-hmm. you know, so Shan and I've talked about the two, like, well, we maybe not have too many summers left for that sort of thing. But started making me think back to uh, my own family vacations. Sean, do you have any like enduring good and or bad memories from oh, <laughs> vacations as a child? Yeah. So I'll, I'll say this and like, I'm not, I, I, I'm not like in pain over this anymore. So <laughs> listeners don't have to worry about, gosh, I hope Sean's okay. <laughs> but I remember um, when I was 11, we lived in Colorado and my my parents had gone out of the way to bring us to this kind of dude ranch. It was something I think my dad was wanting to do for a while. Okay. So we get there. They've got this, you know, amazing kind of like lodge area, this great lake. They've got horseback riding. I, we go to the little cottage thing we're going to be in. It's got a basement with like a ping pong table and things mm. like that. And it's like, this is great. This is fantastic. We were there maybe half an hour. And then somebody had gotten a hold of my dad. This was well before cell phones, right? Um, so somebody had called through the main lodge and, and tracked down my dad. Um, my grandfather had passed away. Oh, so like oh, th- that was just like all these emotions of like, you know, <laughs> sadness for loss, but also yeah. like what happens now? Cause we just got here. Can we at and- least play some ping pong before <laughs> we leave dad? So that was my worst family vacation oh. ever. Best family vacation. First of all, this podcast really took a turn quick. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> Happy Easter and then right into grandfather's death. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> Best family vacation. Um, I don't. I don't know that I have like one in particular, but pretty much. Um, now I grew up in the military, so we didn't do a lot of vacations because mm-hmm. you know, my dad didn't have a whole lot of time to 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 do things like that. But pretty much anything in nature. And I, that still carries over today, right? Oh. Whenever, whenever we went into nature, that's that's those are things that I thought that I think of the most, that I remember yeah. the most. So it's funny, Sean, because I'm I've I've never been very outdoorsy. You probably know <laughs> that about me, but um, but that was what my family wanted to do. Like uh-huh. most of our vacations were to Kentucky Lake. Okay. Okay. that's like my dad's ideal vacation is let's go to Kentucky Lake, let's get a little cabin, let's rent a boat, let's fish, let's get sunburnt. And I just, all I want to do is ride the go-karts. I was like, can we just do the yeah, go-kart? You yeah, know sure. what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I still tease, I still tease my parents uh, about this. So again, my, my parents aren't big with crowds, you know, small town folk. And so as a kid, you know, I wanted to go where every kid wanted to go. I wanted to go to Disney World. Right? Yeah, yeah. So for years, I'm like, oh, can we go to Disney World? I'm going to Disney World. And um, my, my brothers are six and eight years younger than me. And my mom, I remember a few years in a row said, we're going to wait till your brother's a little bit older and then we'll go. 
And so, Sean, I'm still waiting for that trip for my parents to take me to Disney World. <laughs> I still give them a hard time. I'm like, hey, do you think my brothers are old enough? They're in their 30s now, Mom and Dad. When are we going to Disney World? <laughs> I, I never went to Disney World either. I My parents, we live in Colorado. Uh-huh. And so my, my parents drove us to Disneyland Okay. in California. All right. And then everyone was like, Hey, have you been to Disney World? I'm like, there's a world? <laughs> I just went to the land. It's like I went I went to like Disney County. I didn't like and I mean that was fun. It right. was fun. But but yeah, that, we went to Universal Studios though okay. at one point. That's and nice. um uh my brother okay, so maybe here's one of my 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 good vacation good. memories. It. It's kind of bittersweet though, also, because uh we were at Universal Studios and they were selecting kids to uh, be demonstrators on their different like features, right? Uh-huh. So, people listening to this probably have never seen the movie E.T. But when we were kids, it was like the biggest sure. thing, right? E.T. Yeah, yeah. And um, the scene where where you know E.T. and and Elliot like go off on the bike, and the bike flies off. Yeah. They had a thing set up so that uh, a kid could sit on it, and they would they would film it, and you could see the 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 imagery of you going off right nice and so they were selecting kids and i got selected i was so happy this is like amazing right (laughs) until i get back and my brother is in tears because he didn't get selected so like when yeah but but i will always remember that (laughs) that is a that is a vacation i'll remember that's funny so that's funny so what are we chatting about today buddy so he is risen he is risen indeed Excellent. Uh, ancient, uh, ancient response there. Um, I, I won't make you say it in Greek. Christos Anesti? Did I get it? Yes. Yeah. Aletho Anesti is the response. All right. Good. Yeah. I got some of it. There you go. <laughs> and uh, because I won't, make, of, I won't make you do it in Latin. How about that? Okay. That's great. <laughs> Nobody cares about the Latin heat. <laughs> you and your newfangled Latin, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, that, that, that's, that's so seventh century heat. Come on. <laughs> exactly. You prefer the ancient church. I that's get it. Right, I get that's it. right. I get it. I get it. Uh, so we're we're recording this in the middle of the Easter octave, so the days following the week following Easter. Mm-hmm. And you know, years ago, I had an experience in which one of the sisters who was here at the time was relaying to me a conversation she had had with a student. It was in the Easter season. They were talking about uh, Jesus's resurrection, and this student says, "Sister, what does that mean?" And she was just taken aback. Mm. Like, what, what do you mean, what does this mean? This is, like, this is an essential part of our faith. <laughs> it's sure. been in every creed created since yeah. the first century, yeah. right? What do you mean, what does that mean? Um, and so uh, she and I had a conversation where it was kind of like an epiphany to us that people would hear the word resurrection, hear, you know, uh, Jesus rose from the dead, or in the creed where it says, depending on the, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, either... The resurrection we believe in the resurrection of the flesh or the resurrection of the dead mm-hmm. and not really know what we're talking about so we thought that in the beginning of the easter season we'd explore a little bit now there's so much that can be said so we're gonna just kind of you know skim the surface here no just to set some background terminology and to explore little dimensions to help people understand what do we mean by Jesus rose from the dead what do we mean that we believe in the resurrection of the flesh the resurrection of the dead mm-hmm. since these are essential parts of our Catholic faith. So Heath, every year, 
we do place this particular emphasis on the resurrection of Jesus during this Easter season. Why, why is that? I mean, isn't the fact that Christ died on the cross for our sins the centerpiece of Christianity? So why is the resurrection such an important element of our faith? Yeah, it's funny, Sean, as, as, as we go through the New Testament, we don't get, we don't quite get a lot of clues exactly what the resurrection does, you know, as far as like the practical nature, nature of well, how does this fit into, how does, how does it save us? I mean, we do get a few things, but um, probably the verse we'd go to is, I think, Romans 4.25, when um, Paul says, uh, Jesus was put to death for our trespasses and raised for our justification, mm. you know. Uh, the concept of justification is a whole new podcast in itself, right? Yeah. But, you yeah. know, sort of a, a, to make us right with God, make us that, give us that right relationship with God. Sure. Um, but, you know, Aquinas talked about a few things like why did we need, why did we need, need a resurrection? You know, and I, I can't rattle them all off, off the top of my head. But one was um, it was just sort of a confirmation of everything that came before. You mm-hmm. know, you can think about how would the Christian story have gone if Jesus had not risen, you know, even if he had destroyed death or, you know, destroyed sin through his death, but never returned, you know, think about, think about where the apostles were left (laughs) at at the time, you know, they had all fled. This new Christian thing was going to fizzle out. You know what I mean? There's Mm -hmm. no question about it. But when Jesus returns, you know, and then we can see that triumph over, uh, over sin and death. Now we're, now we're cooking, right? You know? Yeah. Um, and just another aspect too, is just, you know, this is resurrection is our final end as well. I mean, that's, that's where we're, that's where we're headed. That's, I was just chatting with a student about this earlier is, uh, we, I think we hear so much in our youth about someday we're going to heaven. We're going to be with God. Awesome. Absolutely. That's true. Mm -hmm. Um, what we don't hear about as much is the full implication of, you know, what we say in the creed, you know, um, um, the, about the resurrection of the dead, that someday Jesus will return, will be reunited with our flesh, and will live in a new heaven and a new earth, right? That's something we just don't hear as much. I, you know, I think we hear more the platonic version of, you know, well, let's, let's, get, out of the, let's get out of the body and let's just have our soul sure, yeah. free. So when Jesus returns, you know, and says, this is, this is where we're all headed, Right. I mean, this what I what what you experience right now is your ultimate end as well. Yeah. You know, so those are a few things, I think. Yeah. I mean, you pointed out, you know, j- just from the get go that if Jesus had not raised from the dead, a lot of what he says is questionable. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would have been just one more false prophet. You know, I mean, we had a lot of prophets that would say wise things and then they get arrested, they get crucified, whatever. And then that was the end of their that was the end of their thing. He would have just been another one like that. Right. Yeah. And, and so um, Pope Benedict XVI, he wrote uh, these series of books on Jesus called Jesus of Nazareth. And in mm-hmm. one of them, in one volume, he basically says without the resurrection, Jesus would be a failed religious leader. Right. And not only a failed one, but kind of a crazy one, because he actually did advocate before his death that there will be a resurrection. I will I will raise this temple up on the third day. Right. If that didn't happen, then like, why believe anything he said? Right. Um, But even beyond that, in that same work, you know, he said it's only through the resurrection that we can say that anything new has occurred that that changes the world and changes the situation of mankind. I really like how he puts this. He says, whether Jesus merely was or whether he also is, this depends on the resurrection. 
Was there a Jesus? Well, yeah, I think most people recognize that Jesus is a historical figure, right? Great. Who cares? Mm -hmm. If he still, if he was resurrected, then he still is. He, he didn't, he didn't merely exist in the past at some point in the timeline, but he's still present now. He is, he's alive and present to us. Um, you know, and as you, as you said, it has implications for us too. I mean, you, you didn't really go in to uh, this in detail, but you kind of harken back to things like in first Corinthians chapter 15, where, where St. Paul talks about the, the, the corruptible must be clothed with the incorruptible, yeah. right? That, you know, the, the, the first Adam was, was, was born of the dust. Um, the second Adam was born of heaven. And just as we have worn the image of the first Adam, so we will wear the image of the second, right? St. John Paul II, he went so far as to say that the mystery of the redemption of man becomes newly expressed in a way and newly created in Christ's resurrection, right? So the re redemption is not merely what happens on the cross, but the redemption includes what happens in the resurrection and that our humanity becomes newly expressed in Christ's humanity, right? That's pretty profound, right? Yeah. That, that there's this kind of like recreation of our nature, this, 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 this recreation of, of our, our destiny mm -hmm. in a sense. Um, and a kind of pledge. It, it, it's in Jesus's resurrected, glorified humanity, there is an announcement to all of creation, right? And here again, I'm, I'm borrowing the language of, of um, Pope Benedict XVI. Actually, before he was Pope, he wrote a book just called Eschatology as, uh, as Cardinal Ratzinger. Mm -hmm. And he said that the, re the resurrection is a, is a kind of pledge to the future of man and the cosmos. In a sense, a pledge to space, time, and matter, right? So Jesus raises from the dead, and this is why I like a lot of the Eastern iconography of the resurrection, because you really get this, this triumphant coming out of the grave and kind of this announcement of, people, things are going to be different. I've transformed my humanity as a foreshadowing of what is going to happen to you. Things will be changed. Mm -hmm. Things will be different. This is my pledge, not only to humanity, but to the entire cosmos that you will be transformed, right? Heath, what do you think, after saying this, what do you think most people imagine about Jesus when we say the word resurrection? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that student who said, what the heck does that mean, <laughs> <laughs> right? And, uh, and I, I had to sort of, you know, think about my own assumptions that I would have had, you know, um, you know in, a, in a previous part of my life. Um, because I think one could say, well, what's the difference between what happened with Lazarus and Jesus, right? Um, and a number of things, but I think, I think we probably talk more about Lazarus raising from the dead, but maybe, you know, some people would maybe use the word something like resuscitation, you mm, know, right. that, he, that he was re revivified, um, but in his same body, which later would die again. Like, we, mm -hmm. we don't believe Lazarus is, is still walking around. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and so sort of a resuscitation would be different from um, a resurrection. Um, but so, so what do we think when we hear that? <laughs> I think I always just thought, you know, not when I was a kid, probably not reading, you know, the, the appearances too closely. I was just like, it's the same Jesus. He's just maybe a little shinier, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Shiny Jesus. 
you know, clearly he doesn't have, you know, he's not bloody, you know, we, we know that much. Um, but as you read, as you read, you know, things a little closer, uh, I think, which we'll talk about in a little bit, you know, you can see, oh, well, there is that going on and, there, and that's happening. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think most people, they just, yeah, they envision um, a, a, a resuscitated corpse, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which, um, when you look at the biblical data and the faith of the early church, that's absolutely not what they perceived happened, right? Mm-hmm. There's something different, right? So, so Jesus' resurrection is more than a resuscitated corpse, like you brought up Lazarus, right? Lazarus returned to the same state in life he had, right? It's just right. his body was reanimated, right? Um, you had mentioned this earlier in today's podcast. Uh, you, you threw out the word justification out there. Mm-hmm and tied it to the resurrection. When you look at the catechism, the catechism makes clear that the Paschal mystery has two aspects. We tend to emphasize the first and, and, and somewhat limit the second, right? The first is the, the one that's more obvious, right? In, in Christ's death, Christ liberates us from sin, right? That's yeah. the thing we emphasize the most. But by his resurrection, he opens us for the way to new life. Um, and so the catechism goes so far as to say justification has these two elements right? Has as the remission of sins, but also a new way of experiencing grace, a new way of experiencing divine, divine life. The two come hand in hand. So a resuscitated corpse can't do that, <laughs> right? Right. Something else happens, has to happen to our humanity by the grace of the Holy Trinity for that second to take place, right? And yeah. so for this reason, John Paul II in his encyclical on the mercy of God, um, he goes on to say that Jesus accepted the cross as the way to the resurrection, that the two were both part of his intention hmm. when he began his earthly ministry, not just the death and the cross, but the cross as a means to entering into resurrected glory. Yeah. yeah. So then what's, what changes about Jesus and his resurrection? What's different about a resurrected Jesus and, and what remains the same? Yeah. And that's when every year it's always a good exercise to, read everything after the passion readings, you know, in, in, our, in our gospels and try to see little details here and there, you know. Um, and so, you know, a few things that we can see as, as the same would be, he still has his wounds. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it's, and in, in, in one way it's puzzling. You're like, well, just give the man, a, uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Give, give the man a fully, you know, you know, um, new body or something like that. Uh, but on the other way, it's so beautiful. To, to be able to see the the marks of our salvation. Yeah. You know what I mean? And how powerful uh, it must have been for the apostles who were like, is this the same guy that, that you know, we, we, we saw dead on the cross? Mm-hmm. And for him, you know, in John 20 to present his hands, you know, and, and, and encourage Thomas to place his hand in my side kind of thing, you know. So we see Jesus with the same wounds, you know. Uh, another thing we see is... <laughs> At, at least in one instance, we can, he must have had the same voice when he says Mary, hmm. you know, to Mary Magdalene, who thought he was the gardener. And she's like, ah, oh, Rabboni, teacher, mm-hmm. it is you, it is you. You, know, you can imagine what a wonderful moment that was. Um, but there's some other things that are <laughs> a little a little puzzling, you know. So, so one, um, uh, back to John 20, um, we hear about the disciples were, were, had locked themselves into the upper room for fear of the Jews, right? He explicitly says two times the doors were locked. 
And then he says, Jesus appeared in their midst. Mm-hmm. So we have this Jesus that is either passing through walls or, or is teleporting in some fashion. You know what I mean? You don't hear him like, you can imagine him trying to beat down those doors. He does it. You know, he's just there. So that is obviously different, you know, than, than his previous body. Or he has a spacecraft. He's, <laughs> he's beaming up from one location. He's beaming back in, down into yeah. the upper room. Yeah. And here's the thing that, you know, people have speculated upon, but I don't know that we'll ever quite fully grasp, grasp why he was unrecognizable at times. Mm, yeah. You know, we, we talk about, you know, why didn't Mary, see, you know, understand it was him initially? You know, why did they, why did he have to say, why did he have to call out Mary, you know? Uh, or, I mean, even more baffling is, is the road to Emmaus. They were with Jesus for a long time, you yeah. know, on the road to Emmaus. And it wasn't until presumably hours later, I guess, when they recognize him in the, in the breaking of the bread. So somehow he must have had, I don't know, this cloaking power, <laughs> this cloaking device. <laughs> that we, we, we keep getting into science fiction, which is oddly because you don't like science fiction. So, <laughs> yeah. no. so when, when, when Heath gets theologically confused, he falls on science fiction <laughs> because he's equally confused by science fiction. What would James Kirk say about, about all this here? So... Uh, I don't know, you know, somehow he's able to just sort of, you know, reserve his identity until an opportune time. So you had mentioned, uh, you know, right off the bat when I, when I asked you that question, uh, the, the wounds of Jesus. And it's interesting that you brought that up because when you read the Summa, Thomas Aquinas testifies that there was actually debate in the early church about whether that was dignified for him to have the wounds because mm. is it is it a defect of his humanity, right? Mm. Because mm. scars are a defect of of our human nature, right? They oh. they don't belong there. They shouldn't be there. All things being equal, they wouldn't be there. But we've been wounded, right? And and um, Augustine and several others said, well, no, they're the, they're his trophies. He intentionally keeps them mm. um, in a sense that they were they were it was optional to have scars in his resurrected humanity. And he chose to have them anyway as an evidence that this is the same body, right? So I, 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 the, I guess the first thing I would say to add to what you said is that, you know, the, 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 the wounds, the scars indicate that this is the same flesh that was tortured. There was the same flesh that was crucified. It's not like he took off the robe of his previous humanity and put on a new one. It's like, oh, I got new clothing, right? It's the same humanity but it possesses new properties, right? Um, his humanity before his death, like ours, limited by time and space, right? He can't be in multiple places at once. He can't pass through doors, walls, things like that. Um, and it, it could be wounded, right? Uh, it could be tortured. But now his humanity is able to be present exactly how he wants and exactly when he wills, right? So it has these new qualities to it um, that transcend uh, time and space. So it's this tension that we keep in our faith that, that Jesus died with and rose with the same humanity he died with, but humanity takes on qualities beyond time and space, right? That's as the catechism says, in his risen body, he passes from the state of death to another life beyond time and space. His body is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So we have the, you know, the, the, the scene of, of his transfiguration, which is kind of a foreshadowing, mm-hmm. but it's not yet, a tra- not yet a transformation of his humanity being completely glorified. It's kind of a, an inkling of it. Um, but it shows the intimacy between his humanity and the Holy Spirit, which becomes fully pronounced then in the resurrection so that that humanity is no longer confined 
to earth, but again, as the Catechism says, belongs henceforth only to the Father's divine realm. So this is what we keep in tension. This humanity, that's the same humanity, it's, 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 it's not a different humanity, but it has these, these properties of entering into this, this new dynamic of being a um, more intimate vehicle of the Holy Spirit's presence. Mm -hmm. and, and Jesus having a total custody over that humanity in the sense that it's not limited, and, it, and he can present himself however he wills and whenever he wills. Cool. So, Sean, why do you think the gospel writers made a point to highlight the fact that there was something different about Jesus' humanity after his resurrection? Well, if we today have such difficulty with this, and the average person probably has the impression of a, re a resuscitated corpse, as we said before, mm -hmm. um, and then they went around preaching, you know, Jesus came back from the dead, um, they... Their audience probably, I would speculate, would also think, oh, resuscitated corpse, right? Now, if any of them know Jesus, had been around Jesus, they would have seen him resuscitate a corpse. Um, technically, too, mm -hmm. if, if, mm -hmm. if you think of, you know, the, the daughter as yep. well, right? Um, so I think the gospel writers intentionally add details so that you don't get that impression. Because there was also apparent in the scriptures, an idea of a resurrection at the time of Jesus, right? When Lazarus dies, who he then raises, um, you know, his sisters are sad and wish he had been there because if, he, if Jesus had been there earlier, maybe Lazarus wouldn't have died, Jesus would have healed him, right? Um, and uh, Jesus says, well, he'll rise. And Martha's response is, yeah, I know he'll rise on the resurrection, right? So she already has this notion. And so do a lot of other people because you have a whole gaggle of Sadducees that try to entrap Jesus by asking him about the resurrection, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. there's already this idea. But as many theologians will point out, the ancient Jewish concept of resurrection was just a continuation of this earthly life. It wasn't heavenly in any way. It wasn't glorified in any way. It was at some point, God will resuscitate everyone, will go on living life in pure bliss on this earth, in our humanity as it is now, hmm. right? So I think the gospel writers uh, wanted to, to kind of combat that, to make clear that no, 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 no. That idea of re resurrection is incomplete. What Jesus is doing goes beyond that. He did not return to merely earthly life, right? That his life is something beyond a merely earthly life. So Jesus' resurrection, I'm going to go back and use the books that... Um, Benedict XVI wrote, right? And he says that Jesus' resurrection was about breaking out into an entirely new form of life, into a life that is no longer subject to the law of dying and becoming, but lies beyond it, a life that opens up a new dimension of human existence. And he's so, he goes so far in that work to even call this, on two occasions, an evolutionary leap. I like that language, an evolutionary leap. <laughs> and he's not saying evolutionary in a merely biological sense, right? We're not, sure. we're, not, we're not talking about secular evolutionary theory. But he's saying here that our humanity was destined for something more. And in the resurrection, there's this new dimension of human life that opens up that was God's intention, right? It becomes inaugurated in his resurrection, this new form of life. 
And, you know, it's in, 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 in terms of our biology and, and our experience of human life, it's, it's like at this evolutionary leap into something beyond the confines of time and space that we've, that we're, that we're accustomed to. So I think, I think when, you know, they, they, they write things in there, um, that's, you know, you pointed out before him appearing in places without seemingly, you know, seemingly passing through walls and things like that of him having, uh, a, a confused appearance and that they don't immediately know who he was. It's, it's to highlight, this is the true Jesus, but he's beyond what the constructs of earthly existence means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Sean. So, Sean, every week in the Creed, uh, we say we believe in the resurrection of the dead. We profess it every week, <laughs> right? Um, could you share for our listeners what exactly that phrase, resurrection of the dead, means and what it's getting at? Yeah, so as I mentioned before, we actually have two different ways that we say this. The, the more ancient way is resurrection of the flesh. Um, so if you look at the Apostles' Creed, uh, and the Apostles' Creed is one of maybe 20 different creeds that existed in the first few centuries of the, of the church. Um, that's the language, the resurrection of the flesh. In the Nicene Creed, it shifts a little bit to the resurrection of the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and why do we have these two different things? Well, the resurrection of the dead is a more of an emphasis on passing from death into life generically. The resurrection of the flesh was favored by um, many of the church fathers, Tertullian being one of them, who wrote a whole treatise about it, to, to again, emphasize the fact that it's, it's, it's our same humanity that is being raised. Mm. It's not merely, oh, you died, and then you get a new human costume, and you're alive again, right? <laughs> it's that, that you yourself, in the whole of who you are, your, your soul and your body reunited as they were before, but then perfected and glorified, right? So when we look at going back to the first Corinthians chapter 15, you know, that, 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 um, Pauline notion of the incorruptible must be clothed or the corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility, right? The, the mortal must be clothed with immortality. Um, he also uses the language of, of being changed. He says this, I, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all fall asleep, but we shall all be changed in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must be clothed with the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. So this is the biblical foundation for why we say that in the creed, right? This idea that Jesus' humanity not only pronounced an affirmation of his divinity, an affirmation of all of his promises, the fulfillment of everything he said, um, but also inaugurated a new destiny for us as well because Jesus in his incarnation took on our humanity, our collective humanity. Mm-hmm. And this is why Jesus says in John's gospel, when I am raised from the ground, I, I will draw all men to myself. Right? Um, raised from the ground is actually not a reference to from about his resurrection, but about his crucifixion. You look, read the next line, and it says, he said this in respect to the way he would die, right? They lay them down on the cross, they nail them on the cross, and then they pull it up with ropes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So he was saying, when I'm raised up, I'll draw all men to myself. This is why salvation, redemption, can be applied to all people, because our humanity was suffered, suffered on the cross in him. 
our humanity was sacrificed on the cross in Jesus. Our humanity was offered to the Father without blemish in Jesus' humanity, right? Which also means when he's raised from the dead, our humanity takes on a new destiny and a new potency in the resurrection too. So elsewhere, St. Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven. This is in Philippians chapter 3. And he says at the end of time that God will transform our lowly bodies to conform with his glorified body, with Jesus' glorified body. So this is our belief. Our belief is that we will rise again in the same flesh that in which we live, exist, and move now, but will be changed, will be transformed to be like his glorious body, a spiritual body. We don't become pure spirits, but we have a, a, a body that is spiritualized by participation in Christ's glory. All right, so we did a lot. We talked about a lot, and maybe let's close a little bit with something, something a bit personal uh, as we reflect on this today. When Heath, when you think about sharing in Christ's resurrection, in that resurrection of the dead that we just talked about, what are you looking forward to the most? The teleportation sounds pretty great, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly, as 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 uh, I get a little older, Sean, the the idea of no aches and pains certainly sounds pretty appealing as well. Um, I don't know, Sean. I'm a I'm a I'm a believer in the love languages, and my love language is uh, is physical touch. You know, I I know that's I'm not your big you're not a big hugger. I know that. So, <laughs> but but I am, and so um, the idea of of our final destiny being a situation where um, we will be tangible in some fashion. You know what I mean? I love the idea of seeing deceased grandparents and giving them a hug and honestly giving Jesus a big fat hug. You know what I mean? So um, I I think of one of our mutual friends who uh, is sort of like that too. And he says, I just, he says, I can't wait till that day where I can just hurl myself at Jesus's feet and just like, embrace him around the ankles and not go and not let go. <laughs> I'm like, poor Jesus, right? <laughs> Multiply that by the billions of people that'll be there. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just excited about, you know, um, I think I explained it. Yeah. Just being able to, to touch one another, you know what yeah. I mean? And, and, uh, where in a place where there are no tears, we're all, you know, everything, all negative things have been wiped away. You know what I mean? So how about yeah. you, Sean? So when you, when you say all negative things have been wiped away, um, that, that kind of ties into my sentiment. I'm really captivated by this idea. Uh, again, it comes from Cardinal Ratzinger's book on eschatology. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had this tremendous notion that, look, everything, everything we long for is ultimately about unity, Right. Um, that we're in this constant course of pursuit for unity, which means we're we're actually in a in a pursuit of integration. We're in a pursuit of of, of integrating with everything around us. Um, you know, um, Pope Francis in one of his encyclicals talked about all of creation being this um, this this network of relationships. Right? God is God is relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternal relationship, and so everything God creates has relational qualities to it. Right? And so everything that we are in relation to the cosmos is about integration, relational integration, right? And so Cardinal Ratzinger said that in, in the next life, in the resurrection, 
um, there is this notion of of integration becoming complete, in which we become completely ourselves, precisely by being completely in the other, right? That we discover ourselves more completely, the the more we're integrated into into others, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But not only that, there's a, a personal integration too, because we have we have soul and body, and and throughout human history, we have all these different theories about how they interact or what is the true self, the soul or the body, right? And Colonel Ratzinger says that's also about integration because our soul and bodies are meant to be integrated together. And part of the disorder of our times right now is that that integration is not as harmonious as it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. right? And so the, you know, St. Paul, again, when we go back to his letters, especially Galatians chapter five, right? The, the soul and the body sometimes war against each other, right? They're not in harmony. But he says this, that in, in the integration of the resurrection, matter belongs to spirit in a holy, new, and different way. And spirit is utterly one with matter. That mm. is profound. The idea that your soul, your spiritual soul, your eternal soul, and your body would be aligned and belong to one another in a wholly new way would be completely integrated and in such that the spirit is utterly one with matter and matter belongs to the spirit, right? You almost see this like this, it's almost like marital language between your soul and your body, mm-hmm. right? That's captivating to me that to have that type of integrity in your personhood, right? Is liberating to me. But even beyond that, he goes on to say that right now our, our, our body, the reason we don't have the integration is because our body um, is is tethered to the things of the world um, in in such a way that the circumstances of the world uh, they confuse and they frustrate that in- integrity. But he says, in the final state, our bodies will attain will not be based upon the caprice of earthly circumstances. He says we'll have essential bodies. We'll have ideal bodies, right? Bodies that are not prone to being tethered to. I like that language. The caprice of earthly circumstances, <laughs> right? But will be wholly aligned with, with our soul, and so I, I think I think, when I think of the resurrection, I think of wholeness. And I, I think of completion, and I think of connection, in a more profound way than we experience it, now. Yeah. And he he uses that same language too. And I kind of want to read this last thing that he says. He says, on the one hand, the new life has already begun, and will never more be snuffed out. On the other hand, that vita nuova, the new life, is ordered to the transformation of all life to a future wholeness of man and for the world. I feel like a lot of our behaviors in that caprice of earthly circumstances have to do not only with a pursuit of unity, but this desire for wholeness, right? When we seek out either... In, in, a, in a morally good way or a morally neutral way or a morally negative way, when we seek out the things around us, we're really kind of seeking out wholeness, right? And we intuit that if God creates all these things and they're good, then in some way we're connecting with the wholeness that God provides through the things he creates, right? We, the, the sin part comes when we exaggerate that, right? Yeah, sure. But, but even in the, in the good things, we, we always experience a limit of wholeness, right? Yeah. We always experience kind of this threshold that we can't go beyond 
but we long to be whole. We long to be complete. And part of that wholeness does have to do with that network of relationships and that, 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 that unity with everything God creates, that, that interdependence and that integration with everything. And so I feel like resurrected life is the final state of wholeness. It's that time in which we'll finally say, I'm, I'm, I'm fully who I'm supposed to be. I'm fully complete. I'm fully whole, not only in myself, but with others and with God. Well said. All right. So we have a couple more podcasts. Uh, I think we're going to try to knock them out before the end of the semester. Yeah. Um, we're going to go to work for you, friends. <laughs> we can all end uh, at the same time for sure. So uh, thanks for listening. I hope you all have a happy Easter and we'll see you next time. See ya. Oh, well, that makes perfect sense. He had a, <laughs> the Lord gave him a cloaking device. <laughs>